This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Elevate, we are on week number seven of our journey through the fruit of the spirit. I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot. It has blown my mind. There have been depths that I wasn't expecting and angles and definitions that have been so enriching to my life. And I hope it's been for yours as well. Tonight, we are looking at self-control. Here's one that's a little interesting, right? It's a little uncomfortable, a little flinchy. But I think that God has a word for us that could change hearts and minds tonight. And so please, please uh, hit the like button a whole bunch of times and the hearts. Comment if you love something. If you love one of the verses that we use, type what the verse is into the comment section. The more that you interact with these pages, the more the algorithms will get the word out to other people. So blow it up. Love you, Elevate. Plus, I know you love Elevate, so you're going to be blowing it up all night. Amen? Amen. I've got a two-year-old, my precious little girl. Her name is Nadia, and she is, in every respect, a two-year-old. She only has two modes. She has super sweet, innocent Nadia, and she has tantrum, kicking, and screaming on the floor Nadia. And that's it. She just vacillates between those two, and she can switch in just a split second. You can have no idea what's going on. She's walking this direction. You go to guide her this way, and it's... Hit the floor, kick and scream. Like, what? what is going on? You're so adorable. Why are you acting like this? Self-control. That is something that she is completely lacking. She's only two. It's kind of amazing to me how many adults act really similar to my two-year-old. I'm going to move on. Galatians 5, 22 through 25 introduces to us the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Recognize that these are not the fruit of a Christian. They're not the works of a Christian. We're not going to try really hard this week to check, have self-control. These are the fruit, the indwelling, the overflow of the Holy Spirit in us. I love that this verse gives us the impression of that that walk in step with Jesus Christ. We're walking together and he's rubbing off on us and his character is flowing through us as the fruit of the Spirit. John 15, 4 through 5, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he or she that bears much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. So this is all about a connection, a walking in relationship with Jesus Christ, that through him, through us, we produce fruit. 
Tonight's emphasis is on self-control. So we're not talking about how can we have more discipline. That's what the rest of the world is trying to do. We're asking the question tonight, what does the life of a believer look like when they follow Jesus? And it is a life that is under control. It is a life that's in control. I would like to open with 1 Peter. This is chapter 1. We're going to read verses 13 through 19. And we're going to keep going back to this verse because it is so rich. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, let your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, our time on earth, separated from his, his unhindered presence, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. We were all born into sin, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish. Or spot. That's the word of the Lord. Elevate, we have an enemy. And he's after us. His name is Satan. And 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober-minded, to be watchful, because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. A roaring lion is after you. Every time, you remember what, what God said to Cain way back in Genesis uh, four or five or somewhere. He's warning Cain to avoid sin. And he says, Cain, sin lurks at your doorstep, waiting. That is our enemy. Our roaring lion is out to eat God's people. John 10, 10 says that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What are we fighting against? We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual forces, Ephesians 6 says, that are evil and in the heavenly places. You have an adversary, an enemy, not someone who's just like on the other ball team. This is someone who hates you, Elevate, who wants to sabotage everything that you do, who wants to do everything he can to create doubt between you and your heavenly father who is life. He wants to rob you of that life. So Elevate. Recognize that you have a target on your back. Self-control, Proverbs 25, verse 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Our adversary, the enemy, he wants to find a weak spot in the walls of your life and tear them down. You see, back in the day, when a city had walls, the higher and the thicker those walls were, the more secure, the more safe the city was. The people inside those walls were safe. It made it possible for commerce. People could come and buy and sell safely. It was easier to enforce a rule of law within those walls. And so a city without walls was just a nightmare. You remember in Nehemiah, Nehemiah wept for days because he knew that Jerusalem back home didn't have walls. He knew that his people were susceptible to, to attacks, to people coming and raiding them and hurting them. A walled city was a safe city. How many portions 
of the wall do you think can be compromised before the whole city is in danger? It only takes one. A city without walls is either waiting for a disaster to happen or it's already had a disaster. Consider the walls in your life. Are you like a man or a woman without self-control whose walls are broken down? Is there any way in your life that you're allowing the enemy in a breach in your walls? It is difficult to have self-control in every area, to learn to refrain instead of just react. Self-control in America can be summed up in two words. This is how we perceive self-control. Try harder. Think about every workout plan, try harder. Every self-help book, try harder. Over and over and over again, we perceive self-control as try harder. New Year's resolution, didn't pull it off last year. What am I going to do this year? Try harder, right? But there's a brokenness inside of us that no effort can overcome. There is no try harder that is enough to repair the brokenness of our walls. We have and are born with this great hunger. And this great hunger is this. I want freedom. I want a city with no walls. I want to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, with whoever I want. I want freedom. I want to do what I want at any time. But then what happens? When we are a city without walls, we get devoured. To have godly self-control, our desires have to be reordered. The great preacher Jonathan Edwards said that we always choose what we want. You see, we want Jesus. We want to pursue Jesus, right? Is everybody like, give me an amen? Yes, I want to pursue Jesus. Thank you, guys. I want Jesus. But the problem, according to Jonathan Edwards, is we also just want something else a little bit more most of the time. It's not that we don't want Jesus, it's that I really want this more. And that is where the hole in our walls is exposed. You see, we all have these idols. And your idols can be recognized as what you run to in times of stress and distress. Think about it for a minute. When you've had a really stressful day or a stressful work, week of work, where do you run to? What do you do? How do you respond? How do you cope? You have to be careful because that thing that we grab onto when we're stressed or in distress may be something that we've created as an idol. Think about this. Whenever you're stressed, do you look for an opportunity to, to drink? Do you switch your phone into incognito mode or private browsing mode? Whenever you're stressed, do you call up someone on the phone so that you can Get in on the latest gossip? Do you plunge yourself into ESPN or entertainment? What is it? Where is it that you run when you're stressed or in distress? A man named Cornelius Plantiga, I don't know if I'm saying that right, he wrote the book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. He wrote in his book, Addictions Start as Stress Relievers. I can attest to that in my own life. They eventually create their own stress. So the 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 stress reliever in your life ends up creating stress until they spiral into trying to cure the pain with the very thing that causes it. Think about it like this. 
you have a bad day. So you get on the phone and you're like talking over what somebody said or did or whatever. And it starts rolling into gossip. But then suddenly somebody else hears about it and you get caught in your gossip. What do you do? You get on the phone and go, I can't believe she found out. And oh my gosh, blah, 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 blah. And now you're gossiping to compensate for the stress that the gossip caused you. Think about how this works with pornography. You try to stress relief here, but now it's compromising your relationships and how you view people. It starts damaging you from the inside. And so now that you're ruining the relationships in your life, what do you fall back on to try to compensate for stress? What about shopping? What about alcohol? These things that we turn to to try to escape, if we're not careful, can quickly become the very idols that are causing us the problems. But that's not the life of a Jesus follower. That's not the way someone who is pursuing Jesus with all their heart functions. 1 Peter 1, 14-15. This is coming out of that great key text that we open with. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, who you were before Jesus, when we were blind and we couldn't see, when we were walking in death as zombies before God came and resurrected our hearts to see him and have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a temporary wreath, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run aimlessly. I'm not wasting time. I do not box as in one beating the air. You see, the world, when they're trying to do these self-help things, they're just swinging at the air. They're trying to make forward motion, but they're on slippery ice. No, no, no. Paul's not wasting time just trying to be a better person. He says, I run, I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There's three areas that I'll propose that we we need self-control over. The first one is our emotions, our bodies, and our minds. Our emotions, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And last week we discussed what is good. One of the most powerful ways that we allow our emotions to get out of control is through anger. James 1, 19-20, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a person does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 29.11, A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds back. C.S. Lewis says, Anger is the anesthetic of the mind, as in what numbs the pain. How many times have you, or someone you know, you see them, or you get so angry that you're just numb to the pain that you're causing to yourself and the people around you? Anger is the anesthetic of the mind. Another way that we allow our emotions to get way out of control that I see sabotages so many student believers is with infatuation. 
They'll get so caught up with this, this new romance and it just floods them with emotions they've never had before and it just pulls them away. All of a sudden, when their eyes are on Jesus, they get pulled away by emotions that just overwhelm them. Infatuation. There's a story in Ezekiel 16 where God is comparing his people to a woman and she pursues her lovers more and more and more and she can never have enough. She's trying to keep this emotion alive. She's trying to find value in the love of others and giving herself away to other people. And it's such a dangerous emotion for us to pursue that infatuation, to pursue that that romance that just takes our eyes off of Christ. Now, in the proper context, neither of these things are sinful. But again, that's what we're talking about. Having the self-control to understand what emotions fit different situations. Our bodies, self-control over our bodies. We read Romans 12 too. If we, re- if we rewind, say that three times fast, one verse, it says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How we treat our bodies is worship to God. We are stewards of our physical bodies. God has given us temporary possession on behalf of him to take care of, yeah, our physical bodies. They don't belong to us, and how we handle them will be compared to the standard of holiness. Are we taking care of our bodies with holiness? 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own, but you were bought with a price, a high price. So glorify God in your body. Elevate. Stop using your body as a human trash can. Stop using your body as some sort of billboard to advertise the sin you're willing to do. Stop using your mouth to torpedo people. It's time that our bodies start being used for what is holy instead of just a pursuit of pleasure and whatever I feel like in the moment. Our minds. Jesus really messed us up with this one. In his big Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus takes all these sins that we're pretty sure we got a handle on. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't slept with anyone's wife. I really don't lie, you know. And he takes, he takes these laws that were like, yes, I can go through the checkboxes that I'm, I'm doing great. And he takes it and brings it completely internal. And he flips the script on us and says, yeah, yeah, sure, you haven't slept with anyone's wife. Have you lusted after anybody? Boom, sin. Just as guilty. Have you been angry with someone and hated them? Boom, murder. Just as guilty. And we're all like, what? I can't, I can't, I can't beat this standard. Exactly. That's why you need me. What a Jesus we serve. The Jesus who is both our judge and our savior. Wow. At the end of John chapter 2, Jesus says that he knows what is in a man. What is in our minds is not hidden from God. 2 Corinthians 10.5, it's just an excerpt. It says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Those evil thoughts, those passions of our former ignorance, 
Jesus knows them. But that's not you anymore, Elevate. You are born again. You're a new creation. You can grab onto those thoughts in your mind and you can drop them into your desktop trash can. You can take what your mind used to escape to and take self-control over that and redirect towards what is holy, righteous, and true. I love what Pastor Ben says. He says that we must pull in the loose ends of our thoughts. Letting our thoughts run wild is a stamp of spiritual immaturity. That is functioning two-year-old inside our spiritual minds. No, no, no. God has done more in us than that. We are more mature than to let our minds escape us. Proverbs 27.20 says that death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the human eyes. Whoa. So where do we put our minds? Philippians 4.8. You know the verse. I keep coming back to it because I hope you memorize it because you hear us say it so often. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Sin always takes from us more than we're willing to give. It always requires a higher price than what we think we sign up for. Where do you run when you're stressed or distressed? What's your idol? What's your self-medication? Too often, we wait. And we're saying to ourselves, yeah, 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 but it really isn't that bad yet. We wait to confess. We wait to have accountability. And we wait until we're already falling apart. Elevate. Where is it for you? What is God picking at you tonight? So often we, ra- we recognize our lack of self-control in quiet, private moments of shame. I don't know how true that is for you, but I know what that feels like. That I recognize my fallenness. I recognize the distance between me and the Lord who loves me. And I recognize my own filth. But it's whenever I'm alone, whenever I'm quiet, and I'm wallowing just in shame. What is it that you're hoping nobody ever pegs you on? Is it lying all the time? Is it cheating on schoolwork? Is it stuffing yourself with food or looking for the opportunity to drink with friends? What is it that you turn to to try to make life feel better? Someone's listening right now. There are people listening right now that are thinking about how miserable those quiet moments are. But there's hope. You don't have to live this way. Guess what? You don't have to do enough or try harder. I've got only good news for you. I mentioned it earlier that it's difficult to have self-control in every area, to learn to refrain instead of just react to act on what is good and reject what is evil. Elevate, it's not difficult. It's impossible. It is hopeless. That's what Jesus did. He brought everything from this external. He brought it internal, and now we're hopeless. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There's a brokenness in us that no big effort could ever overcome. To have godly self-control, our desires have to be reordered. And so I want to do a focus change. We're going to have to, because 
It's impossible. How much time do we spend cultivating? How much time do you spend cultivating your relationship with Jesus? Because I bet if you're feeling, if you're one of those people that is dealing with those private moments of shame, I bet you could peg something else in your life that you spend a lot more time cultivating. Something that consumes your thoughts a whole lot more. I want to draw a difference between rehabilitation and regeneration. And this is something I picked up from APOR, an incredible ministry that, that ah, we get to be connected with as Living Word Church. And this is something that I learned from them, and I hope you'll take this home because it really changes things. So many times we're focused on, I want to I take this sin and get rid of it. I want to be rehabilitated to who I used to be before the sin was in my life. Rehabilitation is a lot like when you make a false start on the scrimmage line of football. What happens? They make you go back to the beginning, but then what do they do? They make you take some steps backwards, right? And so if you're pursuing rehabilitation, what you're really pursuing is just trying to get back to where you were, except now more time has gone by and more things have been lost. Regeneration is a lot more like a caterpillar. A caterpillar who goes into that little cocoon, and I did the research on this. It blew my mind. The very cells of the caterpillar break down into goop. And the proteins that are left floating in the goop realign themselves into a completely new creature that becomes a butterfly. That's the difference. Rehabilitation is just trying to get back to where you started from, but further behind. Regeneration is a complete transformation from the inside out. That can't be done by us. It's impossible. But for the grace of Jesus Christ, but for his death on a cross, where he would say it's finished so that we can know him. God wants you to be free. I love this. Going back to that wall illustration, that integrity of your wall around the city. Proverbs 18.10. The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous person runs into it and is safe. You see, the city would have those walls, but the most fortified, the most strong place in those walls were the towers. Their walls were twice as thick as just the city wall. And so whenever everyone was scared, they would run to the tower where they had the elevation, they had the thickness, they had the security of being in the towers. And God is saying, I'm your tower. Stop running out into the fields where you have a target on your back. Stop hiding behind broken walls. Run to me. Come find security, find shelter, find hope in me. What a God we serve. Proverbs 4 talks about a straight path. Verses 18 through 27. The first two verses are comparison between righteous and the wicked. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wickedness is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. If you've ever had those moments of quiet shame, you know what that darkness feels like. You know what that feels like to not know where to go from here. Our author spends three more verses just talking about, okay, what I'm going to tell you is really important. No, pay attention. What I'm going to tell you is really, really important. No, really, seriously, pay attention. That happens for the next three verses. Let's pick up in verse 23. And it's important. Keep your heart with all vigilance, 
discipline, self-control. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure, steadfast, unmoving. Do not swerve to the right. Oh, this is my right. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Keep your eyes forward, looking ahead. Don't turn to the right or the left. Forward. I had the opportunity of being an instructor at a high ropes course. That's where you have really tall telephone poles. You have like some little thin wires. You tie people onto like dental floss and you send them up and hope they don't die. And it was a lot of fun. I love serving. I love belaying people and keeping them alive and talking them through things. I love seeing people push themselves beyond what they thought were their limits and come down. And they're so excited that they succeeded. Girls were always braver. I don't know why. Power to women. One of the coolest illustrations that I can give you is one of the challenges was a sideways telephone pole, but it was at an incline and there was nothing to hold on to. So you're 30 feet in the air. You step out on a telephone pole and you try to balance up it, but it's at an incline. So you're getting a little higher every time as you go up. And one of the guys that I worked with in just a spiritual moment of brilliance recognized that when people looked down and tried to watch their feet, they always lost their balance. But if they look straight to the furthest pole that they're trying to walk to and kept their eyes on it, they would almost always succeed. So he went up in the middle of the night and he brought paint and he painted a cross in that pole. And so all we had to do when they climbed up one side, we would say, look at the cross, keep your eyes on the cross, don't look away from it. And you know what? Every time they would cross that beam. It was so cool. It reminds me of Peter and Jesus and Peter takes his eyes off. I know, right? It's so cool. But that's what Proverbs is talking about. He's saying, keep your eyes on me. Stop turning to the right. Stop turning to the left. You always just get distracted. You just fall when you do that. Keep your eyes directly ahead. Look at the cross. Look at Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all the people that have come before us, that have walked in faith, that have walked with eyes steadfast, since we are walking down the same path, seeing their footprints ahead of us, Let us also lay aside every weight. There are those things, the things that we run to, the things that hold us back, the things that we feel so icky about. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising shame and is seated despising shame. Those moments of shame, Jesus beat them. He defeated them. Those were nailed to the cross. Despising shame is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's exciting. That is worth holding on to tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Our pursuits change. We start laying aside those old things so that we can run harder. We drop off the weight of the baggage of these addictions and the things that we've held on to for hope. Things that, some of the things aren't even bad. We just clung on so much to them that they became idols and weights in our lives. Where is our focus? Who is our prize? I love this. I was thinking about this whole thing, and I had this neon orange 
headband. I think this was from a conference. And I'm going to blindfold myself. So the idea is, many times we've perceived self-control as being blindfolded from sin. So here we go. Ready? I'm going to turn my hair into an afro. All right, so this is what we perceive. We're like, okay, um, I'm not going to see any sin. Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Whoa. She is so, oh, wait, don't sin, don't sin, don't. Don't sin, don't sin, right? That's the way we see it. Self-control is just blindfolding ourselves from everything else, right? That's not it at all. Godly self-control isn't being blindfolded from sin. Godly self-control is having a laser focus on Jesus Christ, where he becomes all we see, where he becomes everything in our lives. Rehabilitation is making Sobriety, making the idea of being fixed, or even holiness, the holiness, the finish line. I just want to, I just want to finish. I just want to get this thing out of my life. But what coach in track ever told his team, run to the finish line? Never. The coach always says, run past the finish line, right? So we're going to take our eyes off of this really shallow goal of just getting sin out of our lives. And we're going to look to Jesus. And so we're going to chase Jesus so hard that those sins, those things that used to be our goal, we're going to chase them so hard that they just end up in our rearview mirror. When did that happen? So instead of trying to pursue a goal and looking at the ground, we're going to look at Christ and we're going to blow those things so out of the water, we're going to be way past them as we pursue him. We're going to run through it. Our new finish line is Jesus Christ. He's the one we're running to. He's the one we're keeping our eyes on. Elevate, chase Jesus. And you're going to find that those old finish lines, they're going to disappear in the past. Chase Jesus. A great starting point is a simple path of acknowledgement, repentance, surrender, freedom. And that's the order that it goes in. We acknowledge, oh, holy Lord, I'm broken. I sit here in my shame. We repent. Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Help me turn towards you and pursue righteousness and reject what is evil. Lord, give me the strength to never go back again. And then we surrender. Lord, I give you my life. Here's my brokenness. I give you this thing that I've been holding on to. It's yours. I give up. And then we experience freedom. But that's not the end of the story. 1 Peter 1, 13. Let's go back. Look at the opening line of the, of the scriptures that we have. What's all this being sober-minded, looking to Christ, taking control of our passions, calling on the Father? What is this all for? It's for preparing our minds for action. All this talk about self-control isn't about halting our life like we just have an endless list of don't-dos, of stops. No, no, no. We are laying aside the weight so we can run with endurance, so we can launch forward into what God has. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run the race that's set before us. Our God is creator. He's father. He's judge, savior, empowerer. He is sovereign. He is the supreme authority. He is in ultimate control. And God wants you to be free. How can I be free? 
God wants you to be free under his control. How do we have self-control? We surrender control. We give ourselves to the only one who is sovereignly, completely in control. We give up trying to run our own lives, trying to be good enough, trying to try harder. And we become his and allow him to be the master of our lives. What will life look like when we lay aside every weight? How much more satisfying will our relationships be? How much more fulfilling will our accomplishments be? And best of all, how much richer will our relationship with Jesus be when we finally can lay those things down? I think Paul was writing from a moment like that when he wrote Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on and make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. But one thing I do, hang on to this elevate, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. What's all this self-control and try harder? Let's get our eyes off of that. Let's forget those things which are behind. Let's look forward to Christ who is ahead. And let's press on towards the calling that he has for our lives. Let us run more freely than we ever have because we've laid down that weight that's held us back. Elevate. Let's go. Jesus, people, let's go. What does the life of a believer look like? It's a life under the control of Jesus Christ. Elevate, it's time that we stop trying to live our best life now. And we live for Jesus, who gives us eternal life with him. Elevate, giving you three challenges every week of spending time with the Lord. I hope you're spending time with Jesus every day, just cultivating that relationship with him. Here's your three for this week. One, it's my favorite. You should do it anyway. Use your imagination to picture him with you throughout the day. Like, come on, you use your imagination for enough other, enough other stuff. Let's use his, our imagination to picture him with us. The second one, listen to the Bible on audiobook. You can use the version app, tap the little triangle at the bottom, and listen to Scripture. Get it in to you through more than just your eyes. Start hearing it, meditating on it audibly. And then the third one is, do chores around your house prayerfully. Take the Lord around with you as you just get mundane stuff done. Elevate, I love you. Go spend time with Jesus. Heavenly Father, we surrender this night to you. It's all yours, and we place ourselves under your control. We let go of the steering wheel and climb in the back seat for you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Love you, Elevate! Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.